Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill this place with your presence. I pray today that you'd open our hearts and our minds to your word. And that we leave here today, we would be ambassadors of the good news that is only found in Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right. Good morning. It's good to be with you all. Uh, Happy early 4th of July. This is uh, Independence Day week. And I, um, like many holidays, oftentimes we know about the 4th of July, but if we weren't really paying attention in high school history or elementary history, oftentimes we forget what it's all about. So I wanted to give a little quick history lesson so you all knew, uh, know, some of you guys know this like the back of your hand. Others, you know, maybe it's become a little foggy through the years. So in June of 1776, with the Revolutionary War in full swing, a growing majority of the colonists became in favor of independence from Britain. After voting for independence, the Continental Congress turned its attention to the Declaration of Independence, a statement explaining this decision. So with a committee of five and Thomas Jefferson being the lead author, Congress debated for a couple days That's pretty good, only two days, right? And finally, uh, they approved the Declaration of Independence. It's interesting because John Adams wrote his wife Abigail to talk about what was happening and the significance of this event. He said, the second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. We got everything right pretty much except the date, right? He was saying July 2nd, and it actually, you know, wasn't until July 4th. But it was interesting because that event, the Declaration of Independence, was in the middle of the war, and the war wouldn't be officially over until 1783. So today, if you're an American, or even if you're not an American, you live here, most likely you celebrate the 4th. And like some of the things that Adams wrote his wife, you go see fireworks, and uh, there's parades, there's uh, bonfires perhaps, um, time to be with family and friends all to celebrate our freedom from British rule. So I don't know about you, but I have a lot of uh, good memories of holidays. But when I look at 4th of July, I think of some good memories as a kid. We would go to the Pentagon. I lived in D.C. and sit on this, we sat on this big hill where we could see the fireworks. And we'd get there really early and we'd play soccer and football. And uh, we just had a great time. And those were great memories as a kid. When I started my own family, I tried to create some of those same traditions, but not always so successfully. One time, my, Isla was just an infant, so you know, she wasn't even a year old yet, and my brother uh, came with his wife and family, and we decided to go to Savannah to watch the fireworks. I don't know why, and we started off really late, really had made no plan. We made it right to the bridge, and the fireworks were already starting to go off, and you know there's like a strip club on your right, and then across from it was a, uh, you shouldn't know that, there's a, uh, 
there's an empty parking lot, and uh, so there was a bunch of other people who hadn't planned who were hanging out there as well, and so we went there, and then Isla decides to have an explosion, went through the diaper. We didn't have another diaper, so we made this makeshift diaper, which didn't really work very well, and then we ended up leaving early, and we're like, what are we doing? So all of us, when we've had holidays, some are good, some are bad. But oftentimes through the years, we forget the significance of holidays. You know, when you think of different holidays, Christmas becomes all about presents and Santa Claus, and oftentimes not about Christ's birth. Easter becomes about an Easter bunny, which really is kind of, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I never really uh, understood that as a kid, but uh, instead of the resurrection, even St. Patrick's Day, although we honor the patron saint, Patrick, by drinking green beer and going to a parade uh, that's pretty crazy um, when he was freezing his, uh, his whole self while he was over there in Ireland trying to bring the pagans to Christ. But through the years, oftentimes, almost like the old Xerox machine, a copy of a copy of a copy, the image of what really happened and what, uh, what we celebrate sometimes gets lost in translation, so to speak. And sometimes it's not just holidays. It's even the sacrifices that we make for our kids. We get frustrated as they don't appreciate maybe money or all the things that we've done for them. remember years ago being at a Christian camp one summer, and I was a counselor there, and there was another kid from another group, this girl. I remember she had a whole book of stamps, and she was just pasting them all over her friend on their hair. And I'm like, you were wasting money. What are you doing? And, you know, it was like I was counting like 42 cents, 84 cents. You know, she kept putting them everywhere. And I'm thinking, man, you don't even appreciate the cost of those. And so oftentimes, whether it be holiday or the sacrifices others have made for us, we lose sight of what exactly that was. So this morning in the New Testament passage, the Apostle Paul is talking to believers in Galatia, and he's very concerned because he doesn't believe they have a clear understanding of what Christ has done on the cross, about the sacrifice he made for them. You see, the Jewish believers in Christ had told these Gentile converts that they had to basically become Jewish in order to be uh, accepted by Christ. So it wasn't Christ and the cross, it was Christ and the cross, and for the males it was circumcision, for the males and the females it was obeying all the dietary laws. So it was Christ plus these other things. And when Paul wrote this letter, it wasn't like he was at the Starbucks at the time, just kind of jotting down, hmm, what should I do about this? He was angry. He was upset. He didn't want these people to lose track of the freedom that can be found in knowing Christ. Matter of fact, another one of his letters to the Corinthians, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone, the new has come. See, there was a new hope, a new covenant in Christ. And through the lens of Christ, you you didn't get get rid of all the Old Testament laws, but you saw them differently because you understood that you had the power of the Holy Spirit. It was not just you trying to obey laws, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you could live the, the life of following Christ. When Paul uh, wrote this letter, um, we'll start with the bad news. He talks about what a life is like when you put self on the throne. And for the legalist at the time, it was when they, uh, it was Christ plus this other stuff of trying to do life on your own terms. 
He described this life in these words. He said, the act of the fl- acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, all these things he mentions are things that destroy our fellowship with other people. Not only destroy all our horizontal relationships, they destroy our relationship, our vertical relationship with God. When we put self on the throne of our lives, selfishness rules. And it makes your life very small. Matter of fact, the late William Sloan Coffin, who was a former CIA officer who became a minister, wrote this. He said, love is the measure of our stature. The more we love, the bigger we become. There is no smaller package in the world than a man all wrapped up in himself. And the writer in Proverbs says uh, something similar. In Eugene Peterson's uh, translation of Proverbs, he writes, and uh, the, the writer of Proverbs says this, an undisciplined, self-willed life is, a pu- is puny. An obedient, God-willed life is spacious. Also wrote, the fear of God expands your life. A wicked life is a puny life. So when yourself is on the throne your life gets smaller. It's not filled with the freedom, the new life that only Christ can bring. See, it's important as we look through Scripture, we look at Paul's letters, that we recognize that we all have a problem, that on our own, we can never be right with God, that we need help, that we need a Savior. So what do we do with this? We submit our lives to God, and it's difficult to do because most of us are like, you know what, I can do things on my own. But if you think about the image of a baptism, Greg and I were talking between services about how that's a great analogy as I was unpacking the scripture. Paul talks about this bad stuff, the old life, and then he talks about the new life that is available in Christ. When you put the baby or the adult under the water and then you bring them out into the new life, That it only happens when you put your faith in Christ. So Paul writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And he goes on and writes, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So in order to submit to Christ, we need to understand what he has done for us. Much like if you really want to understand freedom that's found available in this country, it helps to know your history. It helps to know the sacrifices of the many soldiers and people who have died to bring us freedom. In much the same way, Christ's sacrificial life and death on the cross and his resurrection has brought us to the opportunity to have a relationship with God where we can be justified by faith. Paul writes, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is where freedom is found when we recognize the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. When we put our faith in this, Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So we respond to this faith by submitting our lives to him. But it's a little different as you look at Paul's words. It's almost like an oxymoron. 
He says, now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. So wait, if we're enslaved to God, we find freedom. But it's true. God is the author of our lives. He designed us and knows everything about us. We are foolish to put ourselves as the pilot who calls every shot. We need to submit our lives to him. And when we do that, our lives get bigger, not puny. They become full of life and they become full of love. When we do this, we make a declaration, not of independence, where we try to do life on our own, but interdependence, and that we become caught up in the life of the Father who sent us the Son to forgive us of our sins and gives us the Holy Spirit to sustain us as we try to walk in faith throughout our lives so that we can do this life of faith. So we become interdependent on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and each other as believers. It says in the Proverbs, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not in, the, in one of Paul's letters, he writes that. Let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. In the Proverbs, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We sharpen each other. We spur each other on. We're interdependent. We're connected as believers We're not autonomous in the sense of I'm going to do things on my own and do enough to prove to God that I'm worthy. That never works. It didn't work in the law. It only works when we submit our lives to Christ. So once we submit our lives to Christ, then what do we do? Do we just kind of hang out and in like eternal bliss uh, meditating? No. Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. James says, faith without works is dead. Then Paul writes in that same passage in Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Faith expressing itself through love. See, the Holy Spirit helps us to live that kind of life. Rather than having a bunch of head knowledge, we have heart knowledge, and we start putting this in motion every day. Faith without works is dead. Remember how sin destroys fellowship or horizontal relationships? Faith does the opposite. It forgives, it reconciles, it creates relationships. It brings people the good news of Christ, that they can't do it on their own. They need help. They need a Savior. We have a job to do, to share this love with everyone we meet. We're called to be living sacrifices from the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And the more and more you read the letters and you read Christ's words, our job is not to focus on all that. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, and check off the list. It's the do, to be filled with the Spirit every day, to put our trust and faith and hope and submit every day. And when we do this, our lives are filled with hope, with freedom, that we don't keep to ourselves, but we give to other people. Dallas Theological Seminary's first president was a guy named Lewis Sperry uh, Chafer, and he wrote this book called He That is Spiritual. And he gives an example of this about focusing on uh, 
the life that Christ brings as opposed to focusing all the things that we shouldn't do. He says that when we get caught up in uh, the life of living life for God, we become absent-minded to doing negative things, to doing destructive things. We don't even think about them. He said, and the, the things that do hang on to our life, those bad habits or maybe those sins that we like to hold on to, he said eventually they're going to fall away. And he uses this analogy. He said, a dead leaf that may have clung to the twig through the external raging storms of winter. This is like turn of the century. They were so poetic back then when they wrote, you know. Will silently fall to the ground when the new flow of sap from within has begun in the spring. The leaf falls because there is a new manifestation of life pressing from within outward. A dead leaf cannot remain where a new bud is springing, nor can worldliness, worldliness remain where the blessings of the Spirit are flowing. And I love this part. If you were, weren't kind of drifted off there, listen to this. We are not called upon to preach against dead leaves. We have a message of the imperishable spring. It is of the outflow of the limitless life of God. When by the Spirit you are walking, you don't even want to do the things of this world. I paraphrase uh, there at the end. So in other words, we're called to not preach against the dead leaves, but of the life of the hope and the freedom that we found in Christ. That's our testimony to everybody. It's not I'm a perfect person because we'd all fail on that. It's that he who began a good work and you and I, all who believe, is faithful to complete it. So today, my question for all of us Are you free? Do you understand the freedom that is found in Christ? And rather than an independence day, that uh, uh, today can be your interdependence day, where you become dependent fully on God from what Christ has done on the cross and the sustaining work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. You can develop better relationships with other people who are believers that can encourage you and encourage others to follow Christ. You can have a heart for people that you didn't think you could love because maybe you find them difficult. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're able. And it begins by recognizing that on your own, you can't do it. That the self-life does not work. But when you submit your life to God, it allows the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And it truly brings you freedom. The freedom to be reconciled in in uh, in your relationships, your horizontal relationships. And as we say in our liturgy of communion, it brings us unity, constancy, and peace with others. And it's an incredible witness. Can you imagine if we all really did that? If we loved God with our whole heart and we really loved our neighbors? It's so difficult to do, and I think by ourselves we all fail. I know that. But when we understand, God, I can't do it on my own, and we say that daily, we submit our lives, we find that we're filled with a love where we can love even the most difficult people. So individually, admit you can't do it. Submit. Live a life of love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And collectively, we're called to do the same thing, to keep in step with the Spirit as, the, uh, as a church, to recognize that on our own we can't do it, to submit our lives to Christ. You know, in pro sports, they have what's called training camp, where the guys go away and they leave their uh, wives, their girlfriends, their family, their friends behind, and they get focused on the game plan, right? They do that. And the same thing with the military. They send them to boot camp, and they don't bring their girlfriends with them or their, their friends. They're just, I mean, it's like fully submerged. So when they leave there, they're fully focused on the mission. They're not distracted. Really, 
What church is supposed to be about is a training camp, a boot camp each week where we not only listen and participate, but we leave here and we live lives of love. You know, on a recent uh, mission trip to the Dominican Republic, I always say every trip was my favorite trip. Well, that was one of my favorite trips. And um, I'll tell you why it was. I really felt like it was a microcosm, a snapshot of what the Christian life is supposed to be about. We met together daily because we had to. We were all together, right? We shared meals together. We had a devotion time every day. We worked hard every day. And God added to our numbers daily. Now, I didn't bring home more kids on the plane, but we started with just us and a few of the locals building the homes. By the end, everyone was helping. We had little five-year-olds that could hammer better than I could. Hammer, they were amazing. These whole families started gathering. People were coming out of the woodwork to help. And this other uh, site where we were building, they had a lot of children. It started with about 10. By the end, you couldn't count them. They were like grains of sand. They were everywhere. And a little kind of distracting from the house, but it gave all oh, the kids were loving on them, playing baseball with them. But everything got done. See, people got caught up in what we were doing. And then on the last day, we rested. We had a little fun. I told the kids, this is a snapshot of what our lives are supposed to look like. But here's the good thing. When we were working so hard and focused, there wasn't time to put self on the throne. If you did, you were dead weight, and we, you know, you'd kind of get kicked off the job site, right? But because they were tired, they were working, they were having fellowship and sharing meals, there was little backbiting. You didn't hear gossip. See, that's what we're called to do every week. We don't have to go to the Dominican Republic. We can start with our family and our friends, that we meet together, we share meals together, we work we love, we have time for Sabbath rest, and we have time to be recharged in our boot camp and our training camp here at the church. I got to share a couple stories. Uh, one of the kids we brought on the, on the trip, um, Chris, uh, I see some of them over there, uh, and there were was, there was several others, but he's a great example of what it meant to, to live a, a life of love when he was over there. And all the kids I could tell a story about, but this guy uh, used his hyper-energy to fully be in. I mean, he was nonstop. We had, we had dinner one day, and these ladies are cooking the food. He's doing the dishes afterwards without him being asked. It, the ladies were so taken aback, especially in a, that's kind of a female job in the Dominican Republic. He went right there and did it. We were playing baseball one day right outside a cilantro field. Mary Lou's very allergic to cilantro. I didn't plan that. But um, all of a sudden, Chris is helping farm with the cilantro because some of the little kids, he wanted them to play baseball, so he figured if he loaded the truck quicker, um, they could play. We didn't have to ask him, he just did it. And that became the thing with our older guys, our seniors, who worked their butts off at the uh, site. Our girls, who were incredibly hard workers. And at night as we shared, we had an incredible sharing of what God had done that day. Again, a snapshot of what our lives can look like back here and every day and every week. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Today, after communion, in the post-communion prayer, we are going to say these words together. You have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're living members. We're called to go live this out today, to leave this place, to live lives of love, to share about the hope we have in Christ It's not just head knowledge. It's knowledge in our heart that we do with our hands and our feet.
in our conversations. Let's submit ourselves to God. Let's put the old life behind this week. Let's embrace the new life of love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sacrificial life, death, and resurrection. Through that, we have the hope of eternal life. Lord God, I pray as ambassadors of this good news that we'd submit our lives daily to you. Lord, I pray that we would put the old life behind, the life that wants to live for self, and we'd brace the new life sustained by the Holy Spirit so we can truly live lives of love. And we ask this all, and thank you for what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen.